Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On November 1st, Catholics across the globe celebrate All Saints Day, an annual holy day of obligation dedicated to the saints of the church. While celebratory customs and traditions vary in Catholic communities, in New Orleans, a city founded and first governed by Catholic empires for almost a century, All Saints Day has a very special meaning. one intricately linked to the city's location and culture. And over the centuries, as the people and city grew and evolved, so too did the way in which they celebrate their departed loved ones. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. One of the most significant issues that the early settlers of New Orleans encountered was where to bury their dead. The city's swampy location, as chosen by Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne de Bienville in 1718, was that it had an exceptionally high water table. So when graves were dug, water quickly filled the holes and caskets would float from their graves after heavy rains. Several different solutions were attempted. Stones were placed in and on top of coffins in the hopes of weighing them down into the marshy ground. But still, caskets floated. Holes were also bored into coffins 
solving the issue of floating caskets. But the then-saturated corpses did not decompose properly, leading to unsanitary and unhealthy conditions. So eventually the departed loved ones were kept above ground, following Spanish customs of burying their dead in vaults. The result were beautiful cemeteries that have since come to be known as cities of the dead. In 1857, author Samuel Clemens, better known as Mark Twain, was visiting New Orleans when he wrote a letter to Miss Anne E. Taylor, describing his visit to a local cemetery. Today I visited one of the cemeteries, a veritable little city, for they bury everybody above ground here. All round the sides of the enclosure, which is in the heart of the city, there extends a large vault, about 12 feet high, containing three or four tiers of holes or tombs. They put the coffins into these holes endways, and then close up the opening with brick, one above another, and looking like a long three or four story house. The graveyard is laid off in regular straight streets, strewn with white shells, and the fine tall marble tombs, numbers of them containing but one corpse, fronting them and looking like so many miniature dwelling houses. You can find wreaths of flowers and crosses, cups of water, motos, small statuettes, etc., hanging in front of nearly every tomb. Traditional New Orleans cemeteries typically contain three types of tombs. First are the family tombs, the most common and recognizable in New Orleans cemeteries. They are above-ground structures with a house-like appearance, and though many contain two vaults, these tombs could be constructed as large as a family desired, built first of brick and then covered in a layer of plaster. These structures were as simple or ornate as a family desired, as these tombs were often a way for a family to show off their wealth and status, as only paupers were buried below ground in early New Orleans. Second are coping tombs, which are a bit more visually traditional in comparison to family tombs. Once the grave is dug, walls of plaster-sealed stone are placed to line the moist earth, sealing the coffin from the ever-changing water levels in the cemetery. The top of these tombs typically remain uncovered, save for a layer of gravel, and these coping tombs are typically no more than several feet above ground level. Thirdly are wall vaults, also called oven vaults. These are a literal wall of tombs that frequently line the perimeter of a cemetery. These tombs can be four to six vaults high, with each vault containing a single casket at any given time. And in some of the older cemeteries, the wall vaults will run along an entire city block. 
Though the wall vaults were designed to be resting places for entire family lines, they have also served as locations for temporary burials when tradition restricted the opening of other tombs. Visitors to New Orleans cemeteries are often surprised to see that what appears to be a tomb meant to contain the remains of only two or three people in fact hold the remains of numerous family members. To accomplish this, bodies are placed inside the walls of the tomb, which would then act like ovens in the hot, humid climate of New Orleans, causing the enclosed remains to decompose rapidly in a process that leaves nothing more than bones in less than a year's time. This allows the tombs to be used again and again, leading to the common practice of burying generations of family members to be interred in the same tomb. There are currently 42 historic cemeteries in New Orleans, but the first in the city to be designed for above-ground burial, and one of the most famous still standing today, is St. Louis Cemetery No. 1. For the residents of New Orleans, 1788 was not an easy year. The city flooded when the Mississippi River overflowed its banks. Then, the Great Fire happened, burning 856 of the 1,100 buildings in the Spanish colonial city, only to be topped in tragedy by an epidemic that had swept through the colony, bringing even more death and destruction. At this time, the only burial site in the city itself was St. Peter Street Cemetery, which had years before been declared a danger to public health. The cemetery, too small to accommodate the ever-growing New Orleans, was already over full and closed to additional burials accepting only the most distinguished members of the colony. Furthermore, St. Peter Street provided only in-ground burials, and due to the swampy land it was built upon, caskets were known to rise when heavy rains and flooding came. It wasn't until 1789, after the Great Fire, when parts of the city were being redesigned, that St. Louis Cemetery opened as the main burial ground for the city of New Orleans. The location of the cemetery had to be carefully chosen, near enough to be accessible, but still far enough away so that it could not pose any hazards to the city's population. Final approval of the cemetery's location would be approved by the quote, very Reverend Father Vicar General, the religious leader of New Orleans, who would also ensure that the site would be blessed in accordance with the rites of the Holy Church. So it was decided that the cemetery would be at the very edge of the city, only 40 yards from the back of the early charity hospital. 
The entire cemetery occupies a space of 300 square feet, or one city block, located between the modern streets of Basin, Conti, Treme, and St. Louis. An official royal decree was issued on August 14, 1789, approving the establishment and construction of this new cemetery. And also decreed was the closure of the St. Peter Street Cemetery, which within several years would be covered over and used as a site for the construction of houses. Eerily enough, it is unlikely that any remains were disinterred and relocated before construction of these homes began on the foundation of this burial ground. It was after the royal decree that burials in St. Louis Cemetery began in earnest. And though it may be difficult to tell, as the tombs are arranged with little regard to order, the paths are predominantly shelled. And though there is some grassy aisle, there are very few trees and shrubs to be seen. Tombs were made of red brick, as it was the least expensive building material found in New Orleans. And to preserve the brickwork, it was necessary to not only cover it with plaster, but also to whitewash it. Very few tombs had marble, as it had to be imported at great expense, and its use was largely limited to nameplates or tablets. But yet St. Louis Cemetery had the same drainage difficulties as the rest of the city. Built on swampland, it flooded frequently after heavy rains. And in 1816, a severe flood forced the cemetery to close and halt funerals until the water receded. So burials were made temporary and remains eventually reinterred in St. Louis at a later date. Of course, in an effort to halt this recurring flooding, river sand would from time to time be brought in and spread along the pathways and aisles of the cemetery. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. 
That's right. SouthernGothicMedia.com slash bark. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. In 1819, architect Benjamin H.B. Latrobe visited New Orleans and wrote at the cemetery. I walked today to the burial grounds on the northwest side of the town. There are two or three graves open and expecting their tenants. Eight or nine inches below the surface, they are filled with water and were not three feet deep. Thus, all persons here who are interred in the earth are buried in the water. Just a year later, Latrobe would also be buried in the St. Louis Cemetery after he died in New Orleans during the yellow fever epidemic of 1820. Today's St. Louis number one remains a mixture of overgrown dilapidated tombs and beautifully restored and freshly whitewashed ones. Years of exposure to the sun and elements have caused most early inscriptions to fade into nothingness. Some slabs becoming warped with the passing years and others destroyed completely. The earliest known inscription in the cemetery is written in French and dates to 1798. It was found on the tomb of a young man reading, quote, here lies a poor, unfortunate victim of his own impudence. Drop a tear on his tomb. He was only 27 years old. In addition, there were many inscriptions from the early days of New Orleans that ended with, quote, died on the field of honor, a reference to those who failed at a duel. But many of those inscriptions are now lost to time. Though only one square block, St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 is the final resting place of thousands, though there is no complete accurate listing of everyone who has been interred there. 
Among the tombs, visitors can find aristocrats, early New Orleans politicians, privateers, and generations of New Orleanians, including the supposed tombs of the infamous Madame Marie Delphine LaLaurie and the renowned voodoo queen Marie Laveau. St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 is still in use today, with burials continuing in the oldest surviving cemetery of the Crescent City. Every year on All Saints Day, a blessing by the Catholic Church takes place in each of New Orleans' cemeteries, and the people of the city turn up to visit their lost family. It is a day to clean the tombs and leave flowers and ornamentation behind. Some families may dress in their Sunday best and stay and picnic. Others may go from one cemetery to another to ensure that no family member is left forgotten. This is, of course, an old Creole custom linked to the Catholic traditions which New Orleans was built upon. And although the historic cemeteries of New Orleans are always a sight to behold, it is said that All Saints Day is truly the best day to view them, for it is then that they shine brighter, basking in the light and love of those who came to honor and remember the people who came before. Today, many of New Orleans' historical cemeteries, including St. Louis No. 1, are owned and operated by the Catholic Archdiocese of New Orleans. And in 2015, St. Louis No. 1 was closed to the general public in order to help preserve the tombs and show greater respect for those interred inside. Access to the cemetery is now limited to tour groups and the families of those who are buried within. Preservation and restoration have become crucial in protecting these century-old cemeteries. And helping to maintain these historic locations is the New Orleans nonprofit organization, Save Our Cemeteries. Started in 1974, this group helps to promote, maintain, and protect the over 40 cemeteries around New Orleans, offering tours to help defer the cost of maintenance and painstaking preservation work. Without this group, it is unlikely that historic cemeteries, like St. Louis No. 1, would be in the positive condition they are today. Because these beautiful cities of the dead are truly one of the many things that make New Orleans a place like no other. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. 
If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. 